everyone, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. I'm very, very excited for today's episode. If you were listening last week, uh, you'll know what this is already. And if you've been catching the hints on social media and whatnot, you might have guessed already. But it's a new topic to me. Dina is bringing it to the table. And I have done my best not to peek or look at anything ahead of time. It's been hard because like I finished the script and I immediately wanted to send it to you so you could read it because I am so excited. I ended up on a bit of a space kick on TikTok today and then it did sort of start to go towards the UFO side and I kind of had to pull back from looking at the videos because I didn't want it to come up accidentally. (laughs) That's some really good self-control. I would have dove right in. Uh, It was very tempting, let me tell you. All right, so I have one hell of a story for you today, and I'm not going to lie, this one scared the crap out of me. Okay, see, that's why I'm apprehensive, because not only is it UFOs, I've said this many times whenever we've talked about a story like this, my worst illogical fear is a hostile alien invasion. Don't blame you one bit. Uh, But I'm excited. Okay, continue. So this was originally introduced to me through the 2022 James Fox documentary, which is called Moment of Contact. And first of all, I'm going to need all of you to watch this thing because it is fantastic. Okay, I will be watching then after this. For episode 96 of The Grim Curriculum, we are going to be covering the 1996 Virginia UFO incident. That's right, friends. Today's story is going to be taking us all the way to Brazil. There are a lot of things that make this incident stand out from other UFO or extraterrestrial reports. One of them being the fact that witnesses range from a group of young girls to military personnel and basically everyone in between. People from all walks of life saw this UFO in the sky, a horrifying crash, and two separate beings. The military showed up and not only blocked off the area, they threatened anyone who approached them with guns, saying it was a matter of national security. Throw into the mix that the only person who directly touched one of the creatures died soon after of a mysterious illness, and we have one hell of a story on our hands. And dear listeners, we haven't even scratched the surface. Oh my god, I am so ready. I'm so excited. If you're listening and you're skeptical, I don't blame you, but this truly, in my eyes, is one of the most convincing extraterrestrial stories I have ever heard. Steve and I watched Moment of Contact together and he was like, you guys have to cover this. Okay, so the thing that's already got like my hair standing on end is that there's actual beings involved because usually the UFO stories we talk about are exactly that, unidentified flying objects that are seen like in the sky, but never an actual being or critter that comes along with it. When I say this story has bits and pieces of kind of everything you need to make for a legitimate alien story, I mean it. Like it has everything. Okay, so... It does appear that Brazil is no stranger to UFO sightings. In fact, there have been a ton of them starting as early as 1957, which have left us with countless witness reports, as well as a large amount of both photo and video and audio evidence. Once again, these are from the military as well as civilians. 
All of this seems to begin on July 23, 1947 in Sao Paulo. A topographer named Jose Higgins was working with a group of laborers when they heard a sharp sound. Shortly afterwards, they saw what they described as a lens-shaped object landing near them. The laborers ran away, but Jose stayed behind. He reported seeing three humanoid creatures come out of the UFO. He also claimed that they spoke to him for a solid 30 minutes in a language he could not understand. They then returned to their craft. It's a long time to have a conversation you don't understand, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose he was maybe trying to understand. I would imagine them playing sort of charades with him, which sounds a bit ridiculous, and then being like, oh, we give up, and then going back to their car, essentially. Right? Like, we tried that, we tried Pictionary, we cannot talk to this guy, we are out of here. I guess if that's just their one attempt, but it seems like there's far more to it than that. Our next report takes us to Ubatuba, Brazil. On September 7, 1957, there were reports of a strange crash. Witnesses saw an object descending at a high speed and then hitting the water near the beach. Pieces of this object were found near the beach and they were sent for lab analysis. It was determined that high levels of magnesium were present in the debris and that they were not of this earth. This is from the official report. The following year, another strange incident occurred. This report comes directly from the Brazilian Navy. A photographer happened to be on board with the crew and captured a disc-shaped object flying over the ocean in Trindade. Our next report takes us to Calaris, Brazil in 1977. Is it just me or are all of these things happening on years ending in seven? Is that part of this or? Hey, yeah. Oh my goodness. I didn't it's, notice that. I'm sure it's just coincidence, huh. but yeah, a lot of sevens in this if you're a numerology type. Interesting. So this particular report came directly from the Brazilian Air Force. Originally, classified documents now show that there were several accounts of objects, quote-unquote, shaped like flying saucers, seen by both members of the military as well as the general public. The thing that stands out about this report is that numerous people say they saw beings inside the ship. Ugh, that just gave me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> so when I was eight, I think I've talked about this before, but I saw an episode of X-Files that I had no business watching and it had <laughs> to do with little green men. And it gave me this like lifelong fear of aliens. Same with E.T. You know, I loved E.T., but you know when he gets sick? Oh, yeah. Horrific. That used to scare the shit out of me. And then there's also, I'm going to go off on another tangent. There's an episode of The Simpsons where they think they see an alien, but it turns out to be Mr. Burns on drugs. Do you remember that one? Yes, 100%. Yeah, like, I think a huge part of me remembers the amount of time that I have spent in my childhood being afraid of this stuff because covering this story has brought a lot of that to the surface for me. And this shit's scary. I had nightmares. Maybe UFOs, I mean, they've always had a place in kind of popular culture, like aliens and that sort of thing, whether it's from a sci-fi sort of point of view or a comedy point of view. We've always kind of had this fascination with aliens, but I really do think it peaked in the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, absolutely. So on May 19th, 1986, there was another incident and they dubbed it the Night of the UFOs. And there's audio from this one and it will send chills down your spine. So six fighter jets were flying over the city of Sao Paulo and they chased more than a dozen UFOs through the sky. 
they legitimately sound terrified if you listen to this. And the Ministry of the Air Force actually confirmed that this happened. They chased the crafts for as long as they could, desperate to find out just what the hell they were. However, they were unable to come even close to catching up to them. There are tons of sightings and reports from this area, and we could honestly do an entire episode just on that, but we really wanted to show that the 1996 event was not an isolated incident, not even close. And we'd like to point out that the 1996 incident was certainly not the last one. In fact, there have been reports from as recently as 2023. In South America, countries including Brazil, Argentina, Chile, and Peru have public government programs that study UFO phenomenon. Because of that, this information is readily available. It doesn't seem like something that they hide from the public at all because these events are treated more like something that needs to be studied. We mentioned this when we covered the UFO Congress meeting last year on the show. And at the end of the day, if these flying objects aren't from other planets, I still think it's important to understand just exactly what they are and where they come from when it's coming from a national security standpoint. So as you can see, the events that happened in 1996 are not isolated, but they do stand out for a number of reasons. And when it comes to this stuff, I'm relatively skeptical. I know you are too, Charlotte, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure many of our listeners are. I am looking forward to hearing your thoughts after this so much. Oh, I'm sure I'm going to have a few. The 1996 UFO incident is not just a story to the people of Virginia. Rather, it is more of a well-known fact about their town. Most people agree that these events truly happened and that there's no reason not to trust the many witnesses. Something that a lot of people seem to agree on is that the approach from the military before, during, and after the events shows that something serious really did happen. This wasn't an area with a large military presence. However, very shortly after the first sighting, blockades were set up around town, and anyone trying to pass them was made to leave, often with guns pointed at them. That being said, the town itself truly has embraced it. In fact, they've taken more of the Roswell approach, and it's become a huge part of their tourism industry. The town boasts various extraterrestrial-related attractions, including a museum. It's shaped like a flying saucer. It's actually really fun looking. Of course it is. Okay, I'm sure we can add this to the bucket list of places we need to go. Right. So the current mayor of Virginia, Verdi Lucio Melo, even believes in the incident. In fact, one of the most well-known witnesses is a girlfriend of his nephew, so he's spoken to her about it many times. Mayor Melo states in the documentary that it's hard to argue so many events that were connected, including the witnesses, army and police presence, as well as the death of Marco Cherizzi, who we're going to get to in a little bit. He states that the world should know this story, and it all starts with a crash. Witnesses who saw the craft in the air before it crashed all report similar things. At first, it appeared to be searching for something in the sky. Oralina and Euricio de Fridas, a husband and wife farmer duo, seemed to be the first who saw it at around 1 a.m. Oralina reported that she originally thought something strange was happening when her cows began making a lot of noise and running around outside of their house. She looked out of the window to see what was going on, and she saw something in the sky. She called her husband over to take a look, and they watched in confusion. They described the craft as the shape and size of a small school bus. 
It had clear white smoke billowing from it, and they continued to watch it until it vanished. One thing I want to point out, and this is a really big part of the documentary, not far from them was a guy named Carlos de Sosa. Carlos is a huge part of the documentary, and I'm not going to lie to you, you can see this guy is a broken man because of this. Oh, no. Like, I want to state he's open about the fact that he has never benefited in any way from the event, including financially. And in the documentary, they take him to the crash site 26 years later, and the area's obviously changed a lot. So at first, he struggles to find where the crash site was. But when he does, he breaks down. He becomes incredibly emotional. And honestly, I don't think that's the kind of reaction you can fake. Oh my god, this clearly traumatized him. Yeah, you can see it's something that stuck with him since it happened, and it's harrowing. I I can only imagine like how something like this would affect you for the rest of your life. Like Not only people judging you, but also the overall trauma from something like this with absolutely no answers as to what happened. Yeah, I can't imagine he got a whole lot of closure after this at any point. No, he did not. Carlos reports seeing an object in the air that appeared to be struggling. He compared the movements it was making to a washing machine and said that it was having a hard time keeping its altitude when suddenly its engines died and it crashed to the ground. Before it crashed, he reported seeing clear white smoke coming from it. His first reaction was to run over to help because he assumed whoever was piloting the ship was inside and needed assistance. When he arrived at that spot, he saw the entire area was covered with debris. He also reports the smell of ammonia and rotten eggs. That's going to be a recurring theme with witnesses. He stated that the smell was so bad he had to cover his face with his shirt because it was burning his eyes and his nose to the point where he could barely handle it. He also claims that he handled some of the debris. It appeared to have the weight and feel of aluminum foil. When he crumpled it up, it immediately sprang back to its original shape. Suddenly, the military showed up from a base that was about 30 kilometers away from the crash site. When he questioned them as to why they were there, they pointed a rifle at him and told him that they were ordering him to leave. Seven days later, a man named Hubert Ladera was leaving a nearby gym with his friends. They were surprised to see two military trucks driving into town. They decided to follow them to see what was going on. And again, this was a normally very quiet place. Yes, there was a base somewhat nearby, but the military didn't normally venture into town, let alone set up giant blockades. They were immediately ordered to leave. Hubert told them that they had every right to come and go as they pleased and continue to attempt to pass them. The soldiers responded with threats and raised their guns at them, which was enough for them to see the severity of the situation and get themselves the hell out of there. A local reporter who was nearby said that he saw what he described as a strange weather event. Out of nowhere, it looked like a huge storm blew in, causing the entire area to look like night had fallen. When he went to investigate, he was stopped by the army as well. He asked why he wasn't allowed to go further and was told it was a matter of national security. He went back to his work and told his co-workers about it. Two of them went to the base and attempted to inquire about what was going on. They were told if they asked any more questions, they would both be arrested. And if this story isn't already strange enough, this is where it really starts to take off. Speaking of strange, it's kind of reminding me of Stranger Things or something where like the military rolls into this, you know, town and takes it over because something spooky is happening. Right. And everyone wants answers, but no one is getting anything at all. 
but everyone knows there's a history of like UFO sightings and stuff like that. That very same morning, numerous calls were made to the Virginia Fire Department reporting a strange animal roaming in a nearby forest. Residents of the area were scared of the creature and unsure of what it was. According to it's like I'm reading it and I'm like, wow, man, that's crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. OK. According to some reports, firefighters captured a being around this time, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Later that afternoon, things got even weirder. At approximately 3.30 p.m., 22-year-old Katya Xavier, along with sisters Liliane and Valkyria, aged 16 and 14, were walking home not too far from where the military blockade had been set up. And I want to chime in for a second because... Early reports of this story state that they refused interviews with multiple people in the years following this. They did a news interview right after this happened, but they went completely quiet afterwards. They are in the 2022 documentary, and you can see, just like Carlos de Souza, they're haunted by this. It was Lillianne who saw it first. The area where the sighting happened was a grassy plot of land that was walled off. They were taking a shortcut. Her eye was first drawn to some graffiti on the wall. Then she saw something that to this day she can't explain. She began to scream, which drew the attention of her sister. Crouched next to the wall was a creature. They described it as having large red eyes and no mouth or nose. It was shrunken back and they described it as appearing sad. Valkyria said that it also seemed to be scared, just like them. She called it an exchange of fear. They also reported that whatever this thing was, it was struggling from the heat. It appeared to be sweating profusely and looked very uncomfortable. As they looked closer, they saw that it had spots on it similar to veins and lumps on its head. The sighting of the creature is what was used by artist Betty Rodriguez to create the now-famous Virginia creature picture. Now, that being said, I have seen the picture, and it's fucking haunting. <laughs> scary as hell isn't it i can tell from the the girl's point of view that it, it was clearly scared and uncomfortable and was probably like what the fuck am i doing on this planet like what am i gonna do but it's still quite startling to come across something like that it's interesting to me because it reminds me of something from we say this all the time but it reminds me of something from a horror movie and i was thinking of signs the entire time i was working on this one well, how can you not, honestly? The girls truly didn't know what they had seen. They could tell that it wasn't a person, and also it didn't look like any animal. To this day, they maintain that it must have been from another planet. However, in 1996, they had another theory. They had been raised Catholic, and when they saw the creature, they automatically thought it must be a demon of sorts, which, how horrifying is that? I'm not sure if I prefer the idea of it being a demonic creature or an alien creature. Look at it, though. It looks like a little demon thing, though. I could definitely see it. I mean, I play a lot of video games and I'm getting back into Doom recently, so I could see it. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not going to act like 1996 was a million years ago or anything because that's depressing, but <laughs> we did not have the same kind of exposure to this kind of thing without the internet being common. No. They saw this and saw a living, breathing nightmare of a being. 
The girls, fearing for their lives, took off running and didn't stop until they had made it back home. They told their mother about what they had seen and what had happened. She wanted to see whatever this thing was with her own eyes. The girls had absolutely no desire to return to the area. They were still far too scared. After some persuasion, they went back to the site. The creature was now gone. A man working nearby stated that he saw firefighters had taken away what he described as a strange animal. All that remained was a footprint and a horrid smell. The print was described as having three toes, the middle one being the longest of the three. The smell? Something like ammonia or sulfur. Their mother stated that she could smell it for at least 20 days after the sighting, despite attempting to wash the smell out of her nose daily. They investigated the area for a small period of time, very understandably confused and scared about what they were experiencing. Then they left. Not long after that, Marco Cherizzi, a military officer, was driving with his partner, Eddie Lopes. The two had heard reports of something unusual in the area and were there to investigate. As the two were driving, they saw the same creature running across the road. They got out of the car and Marco ran after it. He grabbed the creature and restrained it. It was very weak and didn't put up much of a fight. This was just a couple of blocks away from where the girls had seen it. They took it to a nearby hospital where it was left. Marco and Eddie, like the others, reported a terrible ammonia-like smell that burned their nostrils and made it hard to breathe. Not only that, Marco reported having the smell of the creature stuck on his clothes and skin along with a greasy substance that covered his entire body. Ew, hate that. Right? Like, not only does it stink, but she's greasy? Oh no, don't like that at all. Marco began to get sick afterwards, and I mean really, really sick. He developed an infection shortly after handling the creature, and it wouldn't go away despite medical intervention. Doctors claimed that they had never seen anything like this. The symptoms worsened over the course of three weeks, causing his immune system to shut down completely. Eventually, Marco Cherizzi succumbed to this mystery illness. It almost sounds like radiation poisoning. Right? It really does. Because, I mean, he got sick very shortly after. Like, it was almost immediately after this happened. That's insane. In Moment of Contact, they interview the doctor who took care of him. And he talks about how they did everything they could to save him. He also mentions how Marco spoke to them about what had happened in an attempt to give them answers regarding how to best treat them. Because, again, they had no clue what was happening to him. They also interview his sister, who claims that Marco was forbidden from talking about the creature by the military. She says that she wasn't exactly sure what he was doing that day at work other than what she called a secret operation. Before he died, he told her that when it came out, the story of what happened in Virginia would be a big deal. Something else that his sister talks about is that they were pushed to bury him as quickly as possible. Toxicology reports show an unknown substance and the cause of death was ruled a general infection, something that his family had a very hard time accepting. And they ruled out everything. Like they originally, because of the way that his immune system had shut down, they thought that maybe it was like HIV or AIDS. Mm -hmm. And they did all of the tests that they could. They did all of the treatments that they could and nothing even scratched the surface of this thing. That's insane. And to also find an unknown substance, like these days, you know, 1996 was not that long ago. Yes, we have made a lot of medical leaps since then, 
But most poisons and stuff are fairly well known these days. Marco's wife was also interviewed afterwards. She said that after the medical report was finally delivered to her, there were pages missing. No one was able to explain to her what had happened to her husband. Like we just mentioned, after he captured the creature, it was taken to a nearby hospital. It was still alive. The wing of the hospital that it was taken to was immediately fully isolated. Man, that takes you right back to E.T., hey? Right? Honestly, I think that's why this story really stuck with me, because I cannot even begin to describe how much that movie scared the shit out of me. And I remember like really struggling with it as a kid because I loved the beginning of E.T. It was so good. And then it was a nightmare. It sort of builds you up just to break your heart and scare the shit out of you. Now, you guys might be wondering what happened to the second creature, because after all, two had been reported. This brings us back to the firefighters we mentioned a little bit ago. They'd been called out to the area after multiple reports of a strange animal, and whatever it was, they got it. The firefighters who had allegedly captured the first creature were interviewed, They showed how they captured it with a rope and net, and apparently it cried like a child. They didn't know what to do with it, so they took it to the hospital. Between the capture and being taken to the hospital, the creature died. Oh, that's so sad that it cried. Oh, my heart. Oh, the poor thing. Oh, I know. And that's the thing I think about is like, If they're sending beings out to our planet, they're probably young beings. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to be the rookies. They're going to be the ones they're willing to put out there and put at risk. The idea of this thing being just like a young little alien creature, it makes me sad. Oh, it makes me really sad. Oh, my God. After all of this, the military took over the area even more. Helicopters and vehicles arrived and things appeared very tense. One man reported seeing the military moving something in a large metal box as they told people to clear the area. This witness, who worked for the military himself, said that he never saw those drivers again. Not only that, he states that his captain, who he was quite close with, left without a word. Like, basically anyone who was involved directly just vanished. Okay, I mean, it's really checking off the alien UFO checklist here. It really does. And that's what I mean it when I say the reason why I find this story so believable is because it has everything. Yes, and it involved so many people. And the problem is with secrets is the more people you tell, the more people know about it. Do you know what I mean? It grows and grows and grows. Secrets don't work if you tell everybody. But everybody in this particular case already knew about it. And they're all describing exactly the same thing, whether it's like the clear white smoke or the smell or even just like the way that the creature looked. So much of this, it's people that have nothing to do with each other, but they're all reporting all the same stuff. Crazy. In Moment of Contact, they interview a radiologist and he claims that the creature was brought to him. A truck from the military arrived with a convoy of other vehicles that surrounded the hospital. They brought something out that was in a black body bag, and they asked him to x-ray it. He states that he felt uneasy because they wouldn't say anything, but they also refused to take their eyes off of him, even for a second. At no point did they open up the bag. The x-rays were done, and the photos were taken away by the military before he was able to see them for himself. They thanked him for his work and told him not to talk about what happened. This man reported the same smell of ammonia or sulfur. They cleaned the area thoroughly, but the smell would not go away, and a portion of the hospital had to be closed because of it. 
Damn, these little guys are stanky boys. Right? <laughs> oh, jeez. Another man was interviewed who didn't want his identity revealed because he was scared for his safety. He talks about being at the army base when he was called to his boss's office. He was instructed, along with other officers, to prepare some trucks for a mission, but they wouldn't tell him what the mission was. He said that they were ordered to go into Virginia in marked and unmarked vehicles. A part of the crew that he was with worked for the Army's Secret Service. They drove to the hospital and arrived at the back gate. When they went inside, he says he saw a box that was on top of a stainless steel table. It was surrounded by people, all who appeared frightened. Oh my god, it must be one of those nights. That's Edmonton. <laughs> it's getting worse and worse, fam. Oh my god, seriously. Dang, they are still going. Is that Buffy or is that the siren? No, that's Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> it's because um, Cody, I think, is also <laughs> gone getting Shane. Aww. Oh my goodness. Buffy! <laughs> oh my god, they're still going. What the fuck is happening out there? Yikes. <laughs> she's so cute, though. Oh my god, she loves it. And the thing is, she's wagging her tail out there. I just know it, because she always does. Okay, I think we're probably good. Oh my god. In the box, he saw the lower half of a creature with what he describes as very oily skin. It was deceased. Upon closer inspection, he saw that it had three toed feet that to him clearly didn't belong to a human. He knew then that he was in way over his head. The others in the room then demanded that he leave. Something interesting to note is that he also claims that he saw people with video cameras, which suggests that somewhere out there, there could be video footage of this thing. When he returned to the base, his bosses asked him what he saw. He claimed he saw what he thought was a man who had been badly burnt, which his boss didn't seem to buy. He was then told that if he or anyone else talked about what they saw, they would be severely punished. They stressed that this was a secret that should remain with him for life. The convoy would later travel to various other army bases with the creature in tow, finally landing in the nearby Campinas. So his boss was basically like, so what'd you see? A burned man. And his boss was like, mm, no, you didn't. Shut up. <laughs> Maybe if his boss was like, yeah, that's exactly what it was, then he could have kind of reconciled it in his head and gone, yeah, you know what? It wasn't a UFO. It was a burned man. And that's all we'll say about it. And he could have moved on with his life. But because his boss had that reaction, you're like, oh, no, I did see some real shit. <laughs> right? Because he says he's like, I lied to him, but he knew I was lying. Oh, sussing from every angle. According to reports from a Brazilian air control officer, another group that was involved with this afterwards was none other than the United States Air Force itself. A plane landed nearby, and the people in it got into two helicopters. Those helicopters flew to Campinas, where they allegedly collected something, got back into the helicopter, and then went back to the plane. They then took off. He also states that it was strange because they landed without authorization from the Brazilian government, which to him states that this was a secret mission. 
As far as we know, that was the last time the Brazilian military would be involved in this incident. This man also heavily stresses that he wishes he hadn't been involved in any of this. His life afterwards became very complicated and he struggled a lot with this. We know we've gone through a lot of different witness reports. Like we said from the beginning, people from all walks of life appear to have some sort of involvement with this incident. Which, in my opinion, again, it adds to the credibility, doesn't it? I think so, for sure. Worry not, we're going to get into the skeptics before we finish off here, but we quickly want to talk about what happened with a lot of these witnesses. Because yes, a lot of them talked about it in 1996 and again in 2022 when Moment of Contact came out, but during the years between, things were terrible for them. For starters, the mother of the girls who originally saw the creature was visited one night by four strange men. They were all dressed in black. One of them had a briefcase and another a clipboard. They demanded to be let in and for her to shut the door behind them. Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. No, absolutely not. Get out of my house. (laughs) She describes this because it was late at night and she thought it was like one of her friends coming over or something. She's like half asleep and she opens the door and all of a sudden, men in black. Oh God, I hate that deeply. They spoke with her as one of them took notes. They said that they were there to offer her a large amount of money for her to leave the country. They also told her to tell the girls and anybody else who asked that they saw nothing that day. They opened the briefcase and showed her the money, which they said could only be spent outside of Brazil. She told them that she couldn't do that because her daughters truly saw something and she would not treat them as if they were lying. She asked them to leave her house, but they insisted that she take their offer. Eventually, they left. She states in an interview that they were very obviously not from Brazil themselves. The girls, now all grown women, say that they experienced a lot of mockery afterwards. Liliane had to leave school due to the harassment she was experiencing. And Katya was actually pregnant at the time of the incident, and journalists and ufologists openly suggested it was possible that she was carrying the child of the creature, which is fucking ridiculous. no! Absolutely not! That is horrendous! That is some fucking raggedy-ass tabloid bullshit. Isn't that awful? Like, I read that, and I was like, this poor fucking woman. Oh my god. Because of this, she spent her entire pregnancy terrified that her child would be born with something wrong with it. The stress of this caused her and her husband to separate. So if really, like, this event ruined lives. And that's why I think that they're being honest about this, because no one benefited from this. No, it's fucking people up big time. As for Carlos de Souza, he was also approached by a group of men in black suits. They stopped him and they asked him if he was Carlos. They then listed off the names of his kids and his wife to him. He asked who they were and how they knew so much about him. They plainly told him that he hadn't seen anything that day and if anyone asked about it, not to speak to them. If he did, things would become very bad for him. This clearly frightened Carlos, which is why he didn't talk to anyone about this event for almost 30 years afterwards. Marco Cherizzi's partner, Eric Lopes, appeared to vanish off the face of the earth for quite a few years himself. Near the end of the documentary, they find out where he lives from the mayor, and it actually gets really intense. Because no one, not even Marco's family, has been able to talk to this guy about what happened that day. Not even his partner's family. Think about that. Oh, that's heavy. He didn't talk to anybody. 
they show up at his house and they're threatened with a gun by a man who claims to be Eric. And he tells them over and over again, you're going to get in trouble. And he refuses to talk to them. Marco's sister claims that after his death, the military spoke to their mother saying that the story of the creature was true, but they refused to admit what happened to the public. The military base eventually held a press conference where they said they had nothing to hide. However, they didn't give out a lot of information about what happened other than that. I feel like we started out the story being like, yeah, they really leaned into it. They're really open about it. And then we've sort of brought it 180 and now it's like very hush hush all of a sudden. Which again, it adds to the credibility of this, I feel like. Because why wouldn't they just be like, yeah, whatever. It was just some lights. We don't know what it is. But they're like all of a sudden, they just went completely quiet. And it was around the time that the U.S. military got involved. Ah, go figure. Despite all of the reports, there are still many people who are skeptical about what had happened. And some of you listening may still feel the same way. In 2010, an official inquiry led by the Brazilian government concluded that the girls had not seen an extraterrestrial, but a local homeless man nicknamed Mudinho. Mudinho suffered from a variety of physical and mental ailments and was known to frequent the area. They suggest that he was crouched over and wet from the rain when they saw him. I don't know if I I subscribe to that because they've all described this smell and you you can't tell me even if this man was unhoused and unshowered that he smelled badly enough that their mother couldn't get the smell out of their clothes. And they posted a picture of this guy in some of the newspapers afterwards. And it's just like a dude crouching. Like, it's not. (laughs) It can't be. It's kind of in the same shape as what they saw the alien as. But no, other than that, absolutely not. I I don't subscribe to it. It gets worse because as for the sightings in the hospital, they claimed it was a married couple with dwarfism (gasps) that was expecting a baby. Oh, that is so fucking offensive. I know. Oh my god, I mean, I wouldn't put it past the government to make up some whack-ass story, but that is absolutely outrageous. And the thing is, it's a lie that's such a bad lie that it's just stupid. Oh, it's ridiculous. And that, dear listeners, is the story of the 1996 Virginia UFO incident. Charlotte, I've spent the last few weeks in and out of Brazilian UFO rabbit holes. So as someone who's heard all of this, along with our listeners for the first time, I want to know where your head is at. Talk to me. This really was a ride and a half. There were times where I was shocked and horrified and sad. And there were times when it was quite funny. It really hits all the spots. (laughs) It's wild. I mean, I love this story so much and I'm surprised that it's not a story that's better known because it's just, again, it hits all those sweet spots that you want to hear. Like I had my tinfoil hat on at the end of this and I was like, just give me more. I want to know more. I don't know what those people saw, but they definitely saw something and I would like to get to the bottom of what it is, please and thank you. I feel like as we've gone further into the story, I was sort of leaning back in my chair and I'm now sort of leaning towards the mic because I'm feeling very intense feelings about this particular case. Oh my goodness. 
I think if we're going to line up all of like the alien stories, like the famous extraterrestrial stories, this one is at the top of the list for potentially being true. I would say it's gone to the top of my list for sort of credible, not only UFO sightings, but extraterrestrial being full on contact. (laughs) I try to go into this thing with a skeptical mind because this is outlandish. Like we'll all, all admit to this. There is a lot going on here, but there are just too many pieces of this puzzle to not have a full picture. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, between the witnesses, the reaction of the military, and the response afterwards, I have a hard time not buying this one, and I am so excited to hear all of your thoughts on this. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you leave a thumbs up, a comment, or a five-star rating wherever you're listening, and don't forget to share it with your friends. Or your enemies, if you'd like to give them nightmares, I guess. And again, I highly suggest watching Moment of Contact if you enjoyed our coverage of this story. The interviews from the witnesses are really fantastic, and they really lend a lot to the realness of the story in my eyes. I will definitely be watching that right after this. Oh my goodness. It is only available uh, to purchase on YouTube. So uh, that is the only place you're going to find it, but it is, it's worth every penny. It absolutely is. I've seen it a few times while doing the research on this thing and it's, it's a gooder. I'm going to check it out either way. It is that time of the episode now where we want to thank our beautiful, glorious, wonderful Patreon, Grim VIPs and up. I've been posting more on the Patreon lately. I'm going to be posting a lot about our new studio that we're setting up and some fun behind the scenes content. We are going to be adding a lot more there. Like we mentioned before, we're going to be revamping it a fair bit. So those of you who are supporting on there, thank you so much. You're amazing. We appreciate you. All of the moolah that comes from Patreon is going towards that studio and getting us set up and just helping us grow. So it really does mean a lot. Yes, every penny that comes our way goes right back into the podcast. It's really amazing. We're making baby steps to improve everything and it feels really good. So yes, thank you for all your amazing support. Whether you are the wonderful homies over on Patreon that Dina is going to tell us all about here in a sec, but also on social media and everybody else in between. We love you. We really do. A huge shout out to Bob, Lisa, Atlantean Jedi, Brian, Hillary, Judy, Kevinus Musicus, and Mayhem Mudkip. Y'all are amazing. We love you. We really, really do. Thank you for being wonderful. Yeah, you know who you are and you're the titty city. Yeah, baby. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. All right, I got a fun one for you right now. Okay, yeah, I'm ready. And it's going to be about space because I thought that was appropriate. Wonderful. I want to talk to you about something called the Great Attractor. It's located approximately 150 to 250 million light years away from our galaxy. And it has a gravitational pull so powerful that it can pull entire galaxies towards itself and cause them to collapse into each other. While scientists have attempted to study it, we have no clue what it is or how it works. And the weird thing is there isn't enough mass around it to account for the gravitational pull that it has. 
That's terrifying. What makes it worse is it is very far away from us, so that's a bonus, but the pull that it has is likely going to cause us to crash into it ourselves. Luckily, we've got a few billion years before that happens, but a fun thing to look forward to. I'm so glad that they think it's going to happen a billion years from now, because that during my lifetime is horrific. I can't handle that. No, I can't either. It's too big brain for me. Bye. Bye. Bye.